Very good to see everyone out this morning. Uh, we've been looking forward to coming back here for a long time. I, uh, we were talking about earlier, I think it's been four or five years, and I'm probably about 50 pounds heavier than then. Been uh, traveling around visiting all these church, good church folks, and they feed you real well. So uh, I want to tell you first off that we are very thankful for uh, you brothers and sisters that meet here at Pearland, uh, you have supported us in the work since almost the beginning, and we we could not uh, do the work uh, like we do without your support. It is truly our work together. Uh, the meeting of the week, we're going to try to address uh, several issues. Uh, I've been blessed to travel around and, and work with young folks in the church and also uh, young folks in the world. I get to go to a lot of schools and uh, different organizations uh, to work with these kids. And usually uh, when we start, I have them fill out a piece of paper without their name on the top of it because I don't want to know who, who it's coming from. But to tell me what they struggle with and uh, what they see their peers struggling with. And some of these things, the, the top seven in that list are pretty common, uh, regardless of whether it's our church uh, young folk or young folk in the world. And quite frankly, these things that our young folk face are things that we all face. So we're not just preaching to the young folks, we're preaching to everybody, especially me. Uh, when we speak this week. Uh, early on, uh, when I began training to be an evangelist, I went with several men that go to India, uh, Africa, Belize, and they give these reports, and I think most of y'all have set in on some of these reports on these foreign works. And oftentimes, uh, the, the question is asked, at the end of these presentations, how much, is, how much money is it going to take to change these places? Because truly, we are blessed people here. Uh, and those of you who know about those other countries, they, they truly uh, face some hardships that, that we never do. But those questions are asked, how much money is it going to take? And the answer is, there's not enough money. You know, we need a certain amount of money to do the work, but you could take all the money in America and throw it in Nigeria, and it would vanish because corruption is so, so rife there. Uh, the answer to that question that I heard given over and over by these men that work in these foreign countries is, there's nothing that's going to change those places for the better other than the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you, 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 you know as well as I do, the things that have been going on in this country for the last two or three years have really uh, brought a, star, a star, stark reminder of how this country needs to, to change. And, and it's the same way with America. The only thing that's going to change America is the Word of God. Oftentimes... When you're working with families that have had uh, 
children who have left and, and done their own thing and uh, drifted away, got into trouble. And, and, and these parents wring their hands and say, we, we did this, we did this, we tried to do everything right. What can we do? What else can we do? Well, there's nothing that's going to change those folks but the power of the Word of God. And uh, so we want to start out talking about that this morning. The power of the Word of God, and truly, that's the one thing that will change us on a daily basis if we will, if we will dedicate ourselves to it. <clears throat> Another thing we're going to knock out this morning is pride. And pride, folks, will destroy you. It will destroy an elder. It will certainly destroy an evangelist. And when we're talking about this pride, we're not talking about the way the world uses that word today. Because that's not the way the Bible uses it. You know, when, you, when our grandparents or our parents tell us we're proud of you for doing some type of good deed or maybe, maybe making good grades or something like that, truly what we're saying is, is you have made us happy. You filled us with joy, and we're happy for you. We're not, we're not using the word like the Bible uses the word. Because the, in the Greek, pride, and actually in the Hebrew also, pride is a, an, a puffed-up haughtiness over an evaluation of what we're, we're really worth. And at the very root of it, Pride says, I'm God. Now I know that none of you have probably ever said, I'm God. But our actions speak totally different sometimes. Because at the root of pride, what it is is, is uh, saying, I want to do my will. Not the Father's will. My will. Thus usurping the authority of God. So we're going to talk about that for a little bit also. Pride, <clears throat> there in Proverbs 16 and 18, the scripture reads, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Pride destroys. It makes us where we're unteachable. We can't be taught. It makes us where we see the world in a skewed way. It destroys. We're going to be spending most of our time this morning in Luke chapter 15, a teaching that Jesus Christ uh, has given us, very uh, powerful to me in my life. We'll start out there in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And this is Jesus speaking. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. Now the interesting thing about this is in Israel at this time, the custom or tradition was that the elder son received two-thirds of the father's possessions upon the father's death. And the younger son would receive one-third upon the father's death. But I want you to, know, want you to notice what this young man's saying. He's saying, I want what, what's, what I deserve, what's mine. I want my inheritance now. 
I want it now. I'm not going to wait for you to die. And I want to do what I want to do with it. Again, there in verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance on riotous living. Now, have you ever considered why this young man went to a far country? Think about that. I think it's because he didn't want his family seeing what he was going to do. Because when I was in a position like this, that's what I wanted. I didn't want my family or, or my church family, more importantly, seeing what I was going to do. So I went to a place where that type of behavior would be acceptable. And then he, he wasted his living there, and later on we're going to hear about some of the stuff that he wasted his living on. Harlots. I can just see this young man full of himself, rich in worldly goods. And he goes to this far country and he spends his gifts on bad things. He spends them, wastes them. Thus the title of the prodigal son, the wasteful son. And there in verse 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Have you ever noticed that when times get tough, they really get tough? Who are the people that are there for us? I know personally, the people that have been there for me are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I put myself in some very bad, very, very bad spots in my life. And I'm going to tell you, the friends that I had in the world, my so-called friends, vanished like smoke. But my brothers and sisters in Christ stuck. So this young man began to be in want. There in verse 15, and he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. To feed swine. Now, I want you to imagine the most vilest thing that you can think of. To an Israelite, that's what a pig is. That's what a pig is. This young man has sunk so low that he's in there with the pigs. In there with an abomination. And not only is he in there with the pigs, he wants to eat with them. There in verse 16, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now, I know, because I've talked to some of you, some of you folks uh, years ago when I was here, there are some of you here that hit rock bottom. And I don't know if you've ever been there. If you have not been there, I hope you never go. But the sad fact of the matter is, as some of us are just really, really hard-headed. And we have to go through this type of stuff. And just maybe, maybe 
will wake up. You young folks here, <clears throat> you're blessed. You got people here that care for you, that make sure that you're here right now to worship the Lord and learn His Word. I'm going to tell you, when I was young, man, I was surrounded by Christians. My whole family. <clears throat> Matter of fact, my great uncle named his boy after your dad. Yeah. What I'm getting at here is I was taught right from wrong. I knew right from wrong. We were in the assembly every time the doors opened. But I will tell you that because of uh, taking the gifts that God had given me, everybody here is gifted with gifts from God. And there's certain areas that we were really good at. And the area that I was really good at, I got really, really good at. And got a scholarship Fully paid, go to college, play ball, be a big star. I tell you, after about three years of that, I got to the point to where I was, get, I was getting ready to be drafted to go in the NFL. And you know what? I lost sight of where those gifts came from. I lost sight. And I started thinking that all that came from me. Not God. You know what else happened about that time? I stopped coming to the assembly. I started sleeping in on Sundays. I started hanging around with the football crowd. Not with my friends in church. My prayer life suffered. Everything suffered. I lost sight of what really was real. And I'm going to tell you, I remember going home for Thanksgiving my senior year. And I remember I cut a picture out of the newspaper. Uh, Y'all kids probably don't know what a newspaper is. <laughs> this photographer had ca caught a picture of me uh, running into the end zone with a football. And my grandfather had, had suffered a stroke about two weeks before. So I had the trainer take my arm from wrist to elbow and with a black marker I put red dukes red dukes on there and that camera caught it just perfect red dukes so I cut that out and I took it home to my grandpa and I gave it to him and he said man that sure is nice he said uh, but you ain't been living right now how in the world he knew that when he lived four or five hundred miles away, I don't know. He knew. I went back for Christmas the same year. And he asked me, he said, did you get all that stuff straightened out with the Lord? And you know what? I lied straight to his face. Pride. Pride. <clears throat> right before I was getting ready to go out and... uh realized my earthly dreams it was taken away like that like smoke it's gone I made some very very bad decisions in my life because I was not in the church I had separated myself 
from the Word of God. And all that culminated in me taking a pistol from a county sheriff. And I got 25 years in prison for that. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Should have got more. You'd think that would wake some people up. It didn't wake me up. Because I saw that down there in that place where I was at, started out in San Quentin in California, that the people that lived the best were the ones that were the most violent. So I pursued that endeavor until I ran, got shipped to Texas and ran into a warden that would take care of me the proper way. He pulled me into his office and he said, Son, you're not going to run my prison unit. I'm going to put you somewhere where you can't talk to nobody. You can't affect nobody. They put me in a hole where I could not talk to anybody. I couldn't touch anybody. I was a little 8 foot, 10 foot cell. They opened the bean slot to throw food in because I was deemed too dangerous to be around for the guards. I'm going to tell you what, about that time, I got a letter from my grandma telling me that my grandpa, Red Dukes, had died. And for the first time in my life, I finally realized what I'd done to everybody else. You see, we don't sin just to ourselves. It affects everybody around us. Our family, our friends. It's true, right? Finally realized that. What I had done to my family. And that overbearing guilt led me to the edge of despair. And for the first time, very first time in my life, I thought about taking my life. Because my dad had taken out an insurance policy on me and it was worth about a hundred grand. And I thought at least my boys can go to college. You know what else was in that letter? What else was in that letter was a piece of my grandfather's last sermon on Luke 15. I reached over there and I read that. And I remembered a study that a brother in Christ of ours that you know very well had done for me on this Luke 15. And you know what? I saw hope. And I hit my knees in that cell and I begged God to forgive me and save me from myself. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I slept on that cold, hot, concrete floor like a baby, like I hadn't slept for 10 years because I'd been down down that place for 10 years at that time. And I made up my mind that I was going to do my best. If I was going to die, I was going to die for the right reasons, not the wrong ones. <clears throat> you know what I missed? I missed you people. I missed the church because they didn't have church where I was at. That was a place for gang members to go and meet and make plans. 
I missed gathering around the Lord's table. And I told myself, if I can just ever get out of here, if I can ever get out of here, I just want to go to church and I want to sit on the back pew and I'm not throwing rocks at y'all because I like sitting back there sometimes myself. I'll just sit on the back pew and I'll leave everybody alone because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable because they know what I've done. I'm going to tell you something. The first time when I got let out of them, them doors, almost 17 years, my cousin took me to church in Mesquite, a place called La Prada. And I walked in, and everybody was shaking my hand. And I got up towards the front of the foyer to come into the main area, and there's this big old ball-headed dude standing there. Big old monster. And uh, I stuck out my hand to shake his hand, and he brushed it aside. And he hugged me. I didn't know this man from Adam. I tried to tentatively return this hug because I'm not used to touching people, especially guys. And I felt a pistol on his side. And I backed up. And I went and sat down with my cousin. And I said, who is that? She said, well, that's, uh, his name's uh, Sean. He's one of our deacons. And uh, he's also uh, one of the lead detectives for Dallas Homicide. And I said, oh, Lord. I've got to to get straight with this guy. I don't want him thinking bad about me. So I went up and I said, Mr. Hanley, I don't know if you know about me, but I want to be completely up front with you. And uh, you know what he said? (laughs) He said, I know everything about you. He said, you're my brother. And he hugged me again. Brothers and sisters, that's the church. That's the power of the Word of God. Now I want you to notice this young man. There in verse 17, and when he came to himself, what does that mean? It means he's had the pride knocked out of him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. This young man has finally realized what he gave up. And what he gave away like so much trash. The peace, the provision, the love, the care of his father's house. He remembered those things. There in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. 
Make me as one of thy hired servants. I want you to remember that last part. Make me as one of your hired servants. This young man thought that he was not worthy to be called a son anymore. We know folks like that who think that they're second class Christians. Brothers and sisters, God don't create second class Christians. Only first class. James 4 and 10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Verse 6 says, uh, God gives us grace unto the humble. You see, because pride will not stand in the face of God. He will not accept it. There in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. You think he was waiting? And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. You remember what he was going to say about making him a hired servant? Father didn't even let him finish. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to make merry. That father was waiting on him to come back. Not to make him a servant, but to restore him as a son. I'd like to talk about a few lessons that I learned the, uh, the hard way. There is nothing better than forgiveness. Nothing Colossians 1 and, 13, 1 and 13, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. There's nothing better than forgiveness. No greater gift on this earth. Own it or it will own you. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the modern day treatment programs and these type of things, I, I, I do that sometimes. The curriculum, you have to stay away from. Some of it's good, a lot of it's bad. The bad part's this. The world tells people that when they mess up, when they do bad things, that it's really not all their fault. It was because the way they were raised or the environment that they were in. And some, some of these programs say, hey man, you're not at fault at all. <laughs> Folks, that robs, that robs us of the power to own what we've done. 
And if we don't own it, it's going to own us. 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A new heart. A new heart. You know, for several months after I was released, I would uh, wake up in the middle of the night in the darkness and I would be shaking and crying because I didn't know where I was at. Terrified that they had thrown me back in a hole. I'm going to tell you something. That don't happen no more. It's been years. The God, God, our Father, will heal our hearts and He will heal, heal our minds. He will make us whole again. Ezekiel 36 and 26, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He will heal us. I had uh, the opportunity to work with another, uh, with a group of men, with a, uh, a guy back home that had been out of the assembly. It's not my place to say he was out of the church because that's only God does that. I just know he hadn't been in the assembly in 30 years. And we began to study with this individual. The last time I got to study with, with him was at a six-man football game in Groom, Texas. We didn't watch one play of the whole game, I don't think. He just wanted to talk about God and Scripture and his concerns. And this wonderful study up to that point. And out of the blue, he told me, uh, I can't come back. And I asked him, why can't you come back? He said, because uh, when I come through those doors, everybody that knows me is going to be looking at me crazy. Knowing what I've been doing for 30 years, and now here I am. What's he doing here? And I told him, you're wrong, brother. You're wrong. But you just have to see for yourself. I said, it don't matter. It don't matter. You don't know what I've done. God cannot forgive me for what I've done. And I said, well, so your sin is greater than God's power to forgive? Your sin's greater than God's grace? What about the Apostle Paul? Your sin's greater than his? I'll tell you... Uh, I left that study in a very, very downtrodden mood because I didn't think we'd ever get a chance to study with him again. That Sunday, I was sitting on the, our whole family sits on the second pew there. They offered the invitation, and I felt the breeze on my shoulder, and it was that it was that man. His name's Clyde. It was that man? He came forward in tears hit his knees. I'm going to tell you what, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Not a dry eye. And he is a faithful member to this day. Has affected many, many people because of his obedience. 
whatever you have done, whatever your friends and family have done that aren't here today, that aren't worshiping anywhere today, we all have them. We all have friends and family that aren't here or anywhere worshiping God. I'm going to tell you something. Their sin is not greater than God's power to forgive. Isaiah 55 and 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Second Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I want you to really latch on to this. What we're talking about this morning is not, is not me. It's not me. And it's not Brother Clyde or anybody else that you're thinking about right now that's had this change in, our, in, in their lives or your lives. This is about the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word, word of God to clean up the filthiest rag. That's what this is about. Please get out your songbooks. Now, what we've studied this morning, I know, was probably not very comfortable. It certainly wasn't for me. But I'm going to tell you, this is a study that I have to do quite regularly to keep myself in check. Now, I'm not talking about this particular study, but one on pride and humility. Uh, because pride, uh, you know, like I said, I'm my, I'm my own worst enemy. Uh, and pride is at the root of, I think, of every sin, but especially every one that, that I can remember committing. Everyone here is represented in this story. You're either a person that's a member of that far country that has never known God, that has never obeyed the gospel and come in contact with the blood of Christ, if that's you, God is, he takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. And we've all been there. So we beg you to take care of that this morning. Become a member of the household of God. If you're here this morning and you're a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, God don't want you to stay in that far country. He wants you to come home. He wants you to come home. And he can do that this morning for you if you will allow it, if you will humble yourself. I want to I leave you with uh, one last story there. I sat for two days. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how this, this process works now, but back then it was... Uh, all violent criminals had to be released from one unit in Texas. And it was the Walls unit. I don't even think they call it that now. But it's the old unit, old prison unit. That's where all the violent offenders were released from. And I think uh, at that time, I think it was about 180,000 uh, population and maybe 100 people a day got released. 
Over two days, uh, I sit and watch, watch from my cell door down into the courtyard. I watched the first day as these people were walking out of the gates. And then the second day came around, and uh, they were walking us out, and I was the last one to leave. Uh, because of my crime, they had to put a GPS tracker on me to make sure I didn't get close to law, the law enforcement person. Uh, as I was walking out, they had three 55-gallon oil barrels with the tops cut off of them for trash so people could throw their trash that they didn't want to take out uh, to uh, the free world with them. You know, leave all their trash behind. And as I walked up on these barrels, they were overflowing onto the ground. Three 55-gallon trash barrels. And do you know what the majority of that stuff that people had thrown away was? The Word of God. And I thought to myself, the one thing that would change your life, the one thing that would save you, the one thing that would change your whole family, give you a purpose in life, and a hope, a destiny in heaven, and you're throwing it away like so much trash. Now I know, I feel confident that none of you here have ever thrown a Bible in the trash physically. I know you've, you've never disrespected it like that. What have we done with it mentally? What have we done with it spiritually? Because that's a much more, more, more important question. Have we shared this? Are we going to share it this week? Are we going to go visit our friends, our neighbors, our family members? Are we going to try to get them connected with the Word of God? Because, brothers and sisters, those members of the family that are in good standing with the Lord, that are in His household, that's what they do. That's what they do. They share this. So I want to encourage you as we go through this week. I want to encourage you. Let's reach out. Hey man, do we get rejected most of the time? Yeah. But you know what? As Christians, we have to have loving hearts and we have to have thick skin because we're going to get told no. But you know what? Sometimes you're going to run into a person that will listen. So I encourage you in that. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. If we can help you in any way, we would ask you to come forward and have a seat on the front bench as we stand and sing.